Welcome to the Perfect Puzzle. We are studying Matthew chapter 24. And while you find your way there in your Bible, I'd like to uh, have a word of prayer for you and with you. Father, as always, we thank you so much for the ability to study your word and the capability of understanding it, Lord. I trust you, Father, to lead us and guide us into all righteousness. And Father, in this particular study, I'm asking you to guide me, Father, even more so than ever before, that your Holy Spirit would rest upon all of us as we receive your word today, Father. I ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> now, before we get more into Matthew 24, I want to draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place. And new things I declare, before they spring into a, into being, I announce them to you. Now I'm going to trust that you realize that's exactly what Matthew 24 and 25 is doing for us. Telling us the things that happen before they spring into being. I want you to also take note of one other thing. God says, I am the Lord. The word he uses there in the Hebrew is the, you know, the unutterable name of God, his personal name, Yahweh. Now I want you to please take note, and this is for any of you that may be leaning toward any interfaith thinking, you know, the, uh, or with Muslims or uh, other religions outside of uh, Christianity. God says his name is Yahweh. It's not Allah, or Allah, or however you pronounce it. That's just an aside for you, just so you can understand more, you know, that God tells us his name. And he didn't use the word Allah. Now, so far in Matthew 24, we've seen various signs, and that's plural, of the end. But Jesus has yet to answer the disciples' third question. What will be the one sign, now that's singular, of the end of the age? Now when we get to Matthew 24:14, we have the answer. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when is the end going to come? When this gospel of the kingdom has been preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. That's a very important statement. It means that the real initiative in world history is not with the politicians, the military commanders, or scientists, but it lies with the church. You know, according to what Jesus seems to be saying here, and this is the way the church has always interpreted this, I'm going to differ from it a little later, but I'm, I'm going to give you the, what the church, corporate Christianity, teaches about this. You know, the church is the only group of people who can bring about the closing sign of the age, the preaching of this gospel of the kingdom. i got to remember now, Jesus said this. He didn't suggest that some watered-down, humanistic version of the gospel would be sufficient. 
he stated that the same gospel preached by him and by the apostles must be the one preached in all the world as it witnessed to all the nations. Now, Revelation tells us something about the people from these nations. John, describing what he saw in a vision, declares in verses 9 to 10, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great multitude of people, all of whom receive salvation through faith in Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. In other words, before the age can close, there's got to be at least one representative in the body of Christ of every nation, people, tribe, and language on earth. Now, I believe the reason is that God the Father is jealous for his Son's glory. Because Jesus was willing to suffer for all man, all humankind, God is not going to allow the age to close until there's at least one representative from every tribe, people, nation, and tongue who has received the salvation offered through Jesus, the Lamb of God. That responsibility is ours as a church. And it is a tremendous responsibility. Now, when we consider all the tragedies, the suffering, sickness, hatred, wars, and poverty that mark this present age, and they're increasing steadily, which we've talked about earlier, we have to face the fact that unless we do our job as quickly as we can, we're going to be responsible for unnecessary additional suffering. Yeah, we must never forget our responsibilities, and I say that with utmost passion in my soul. This is the verse that motivates me. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. I take that responsibility seriously. Now, we need to ask ourselves, what are we living for? Is it for an easy life? The most we can get out of life? Maybe we want a better job, a higher pay, a larger house, a faster car? Or are we living for this purpose? That this kingdom of gospel of the kingdom may be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all the nations. You know, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as all of us are going to do, we'll have to stand before God and say, I'm sorry, I never really took this verse seriously. I went on living my life as if the age were going to go on forever. All I had to do was look after number one and maybe number two. You know, I'm talking about a serious, serious, desperately serious issue. I don't want to dwell on it, but would it, it would be unfair if I didn't point out the sobriety of this prophecy. And every one of us can do something. We can all contribute to the goal. In Matthew 9, Jesus says the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what did he say next? Pray the Lord of the harvest. We can all pray. And we're guilty if we don't pray. Most of us can give. If we view the world as it is today with you know, a population of about 8 billion, most of us are wealthy in comparison. You know, how can this be? We have, we have beds to sleep on. Most of us have sheets on our bed. We can choose what we eat. We have enough to eat. 
Do you know there are millions and millions of people on earth who don't have those privileges? What are you doing with your money? Are you squandering it on self-indulgence while millions are starving? Not merely starving physically, but also starving spiritually for the bread of life. You know, this you know, it's one of the most searching verses in the Bible. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Jesus said that's the sign of the end that the gospel will be preached. And if he said it will be preached, then it will be preached. And the question becomes, what are we going to do about it? Now, I want to go back and explain something to you before I say anything more. That's the guilt trip that the church is going to put you on. Okay? If you're not careful. If you don't take what I'm about to tell you. Because one thing I want to do in this podcast is to be able to say, as Paul did in Acts 20, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I don't want to negate everything I've said about our responsibility to preach the gospel. Okay? We do have that responsibility. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? I used the words I used for a purpose. Because while we do have that commission, I have one question for you to ask yourself. Is that what Jesus really meant? Did he really intend, when he's talking to the disciples here and he tells them this, did he really intend for the church to spread the gospel to the whole world before he comes again? I mean, after all, there wasn't a church in existence when he said those words to his disciples. He was talking to them. And he didn't tell them anything about them accomplishing it before the end of the world comes. Now your answer to that question is very important. Because if your answer is yes, then you have some explaining to do. Because I want you to turn over to Revelation 14.4 where John sees a vision of the 144,000 redeemed ones who, quote, follow the Lamb wherever he goes. John sees three angels flying in midair. The first one had, I'm going to quote it, had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. That's verse 6. This is the only place in the Bible where the gospel is described as the everlasting gospel. Another translation of that is the eternal gospel. So if the church is tasked with having to accomplish preaching to everyone in the world before Jesus returns, why is there a need for an angel to do the same thing? Now we're going to talk more about that when we get over to Revelation chapter 14. But until then, it's something for you to think about. Remember, Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. He did not say who would accomplish that teaching. There's no indication that his words here in Matthew 24 should be, given, should be connected to the great commission given by him four chapters later in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. 
And Jesus came to them and spoke unto them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The only reference Jesus makes in those words that he will be with us even unto the end of the world. That's something for you to think about. Okay? Yes, preach the gospel. But don't think you have to do it and get it all done before Jesus comes back. Now, continuing with Jesus' teaching on signs of the end in Matthew 24, there's a dramatic turn in his discourse because up until now, the emphasis has been on the whole world and all nations. In verse 15, he turns the focus to a tiny little strip of territory at the east end of the Mediterranean. It's wrongly called Palestine by some. By the way, Palestine means the land of the Philistines. It's not the land of the Philistines. It is Israel. And we're going to focus on the topic of Israel and Israel's position in end-time events in a later sessions. But I want to follow Jesus' presentation, a prophetic word he gives about Israel at this point. By an everlasting covenant, God gave Israel forever to Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. They're going to possess it. We cannot approach an end-time study without considering our attitude toward that covenant and to the Jews themselves. There is no room for neutrality. In Exodus 3, God said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Exodus 3.15. I want to hearken back to what I said. Almighty God chose to be known forever as the God of those three men. You need to give heed to that. Let's remember another point Jesus made in Scripture. Jesus said quite clearly, Salvation is from the Jews in John 4.22. I don't care if you're Jewish or not. We must understand we owe every spiritual blessing we have ever enjoyed to one people and one people only, and that's the Jewish people. Because without the Jews, there would be no patriarchs, no prophets, no apostles, no Bible, and no Savior. For myself, I think it's time that we begin to repay the debt. And for the most part, the church has done exactly the opposite. It's compounded our debt by centuries of prejudice, maligning, and open persecution. Often when believers try to talk to a Jewish person about Jesus, they find that a wall of reserve comes up. Now that's because in the eyes of any intelligent Jewish person who knows history, the number one enemy of the Jewish people throughout history has been the Jewish church, I mean the Christian church. That may shock you, but it's true. And they can give you many historical reasons why that is so. Now that realization 
gives us some new insight into Jesus' words when we get over to verse 28. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles, or vultures, will be gathered together. Have you ever seen a vulture? You know, first it's a speck way up in the sky, it's circling slowly, and it begins to descend lower and lower. If you watch it, the other specks are going to join it, and they're also going to circle, and they're going to continue to come lower. When you see that, you know immediately something is dying down on the ground. And they're just waiting for that creature's death to descend upon it. Jesus said, when you see all the vultures circling around, you know where the carcass is. Now, the truth of the matter is, no one on earth knows what that passage means. I have a pet theory. I'm probably wrong. But I'm inclined to think this verse refers to the way people are going to relate to the city of Jerusalem. All the vultures are already up in the air, circling and coming lower, because everybody wants a piece of the pie. United States, Britain, European Union, the Muslims, Russia, all like vultures over their prey. And we're going to see more and more of the selfish intentions of people and nations toward Israel. We need to keep in mind God has great plans for the Jews. First of all, let me point out that in Romans, Paul says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, or the full number of the Gentiles. And so all Israel will be saved. God has a program. At present time, his program is to reap a vast harvest of Gentiles. But when the harvest is complete, all Israel will then be saved. The fact is, many more Jews are now beginning to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. It's one of the signs we're coming to a period of transition from one age to the next. From the age of the Gentiles to the age when Israel will once again be the leading nation and the representative of God on earth among nations. But as I've already said, we're going to talk more about Israel in future session. Now that brings us then to the warning Jesus gives in Matthew 24:15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. And we're going to pick it up there next time. Okay? For, until then, this is the perfect puzzle. Thank you for listening.